Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Emmy Houston is a lawyer, author and entrepreneur, a passionate advocate of work-life balance and the freedom to work from home. Emma is the founder and director of The Remote Expert, a virtual law firm delivering legal services and legal information to online business owners across Australia. I love that her email address has the words tracksuit economy into it, and I'll get to that a bit later. In 2011, Emma was on the traditional corporate law path. She had the great office job in a boutique law firm on the North Shore of Sydney, but a near-death experience changed her views on work-life balance and brought with it the realisation that life is way too short not to do exactly as you please. At 13 weeks pregnant, Emma was given a common anti-nausea drug to help with morning sickness in the ER of a Sydney hospital and had a sudden cardiac arrest as a result of that drug. She was resuscitated and miraculously both Emma and her baby boy, who's now nine, survived. To put it bluntly, Emma says having a baby in Sydney was crap and it was the reason that Emma and her family moved from Sydney to far northern New South Wales in 2013, well ahead of most of us who've made that sea change, tree change. Since then, Emma has worked remotely as a partner in a law firm for a number of years. She said it was great until it wasn't. While it was flexible, the role didn't fulfill Emma's sense of purpose to help other women say what if and take the leap to start a business on their own terms. Fast forward a bit to 2018, Emma wrote The Tracksuit Economy, her work from home Bible and founded The Remote Expert in 2019. And it's gone from strength to strength, helping those with online businesses and assisting people who have businesses that are working from home. Emma has some very interesting views on the overuse of the word scale when it comes to businesses, especially online businesses, and seeks to change that as part of her work. However, lo and behold, that is what we are chatting about today. So welcome to the politics of everything, Emma. Thanks, Amber. Lovely to be here. So, little Emma, what were your career ambitions and did you end up doing that? Did you actually watch those 1980s legal shows and think, I need to do that? Or did you land there a little bit uh, in, a different, in a different format to what you thought you'd be doing? Uh, I did actually decide at 13 I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, before that, I think I'd wanted to be a vet, but I was worried that um, I'd have to touch snakes and birds and things. So um, I sort of decided on being a lawyer at 13. And I'd, I, looking back, I don't know if I really understood what it involved. And certainly I qualified in the year 2000 and the job I had then compared to what I do now with clients all around Australia and virtually, you know, it just wasn't happening back then. So it's been a really interesting time to be a lawyer. Absolutely. Obviously, leaving the security of that sort of well-paid law firm job and then making that sea change, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a decade or so before we had the the post-COVID sea change, tree change, which I have embarked on, it 
I guess must have been liberating and hard in different measures. So how prepared were you to start that first business? And are there any sort of, you know, war stories that you can share about, you know, maybe what you learned early on and maybe some of the things that still work today, 10 years on? So I actually had a bit of a false start. When we left Sydney, I'd registered a domain name and I'd got a website and I was all set to open what I was going to call Houston Legal and talk about Houston, we have a problem, you know, that kind oh, that's of nice. um, <laughs> thing. And then, you know, I was actually offered a job on the border of New South Wales and Queensland and we just moved up there and my husband had got permission to to work remotely from his job from a branch office but it was only on probation and we had a young child and I took I took the job I abandoned that kind of starting a business then so uh, I sort of worked for I think five years the first in a really traditional job, then the, the next four in a remote work environment for a Sydney firm where I was working from home, but it, I still wasn't my own boss. So I suppose I, I sort of had that wish for probably about five years before I did start. And I don't know whether it was that I had a a young um, a young child or what it was, a confidence thing, but it got to the point after four years in my in my business that I, I was kind of like well, remote working that I was just kind of like, no, I have to do it. I actually can't work for anyone else any longer. I just got to do my own thing. So, yeah, it, it was really interesting. My, my regret is I didn't do it in 2013 when I had intended to. That took, yeah, maybe you just had to really, yes. really prove to yourself that that's what you wanted. And you, like you say, you decide you couldn't work for anyone else. Mm. Are there some things that I guess some even tools and techniques or time-saving things that you still use today that served you well in the beginning when you were maybe in a startup mode? Yeah, I think the use of certain sort of online online things I, I like to keep things simple though so I've not used anything really complicated or really kind of automation kind of based other than emails and is there things. a reason why do you find that it's just something else to learn or you don't need it because of the size of your business I feel like I don't necessarily need it or to make it complicated for clients I, I've been down that journey where I looked for that but then a lot of my clients with the legal information preferred word templates instead of automated documents, which was really interesting to, to, to learn. But back to your question, I, I think really the calendar booking has been life-changing. I use Acuity and people can book in direct on my calendar. It has saved me, I think, hours a week for the last few years. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I bet just because it's already all out there when you're available and when you're not. So absolutely, I think that's one of the one of the ones most of us use. So the term scale sort of unnerves you. Why is that so? And I guess what does it mean to you? What's sort of the issue you take with that idea that we use the word scale a lot or too much, particularly in online business? I think we've been using it too much. I, I think the term itself 
I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I think it's the way it's been used and, and almost hijacked by influencers. So scaling revenue, it's, it's not just growth. Um, growth is when you grow your resources and your income. So it's sort of a trajectory. But scaling is, you know, getting more income and profit with, without necessarily having the cost increases. So it's really seen a move. And I help a lot of people who are in that process. And a lot of them are moving from service-based businesses to one to many. But it's been hijacked by influencers a bit and mixed in. And I think the problem is it's become almost interchangeable sometimes when you see it on social media or described in articles online that it's become about, you know, become a six-figure to or seven-figure business or there's that hustle message mixed in with it, which is really changing, I think, the pure definition of scale. And it it gets, I think, a lot of false promises out there in the influencer world. I'm seeing a lot of, you you know, interestingly, coaches who are teaching people to create online courses in their own area, sort of really pushing that message about scaling and selling their product, but then people are left without the tools to properly scale their business or or even knowing why they're scaling their business or whether they need to. Mm. So I guess that leads to my next question, which is, do you think that online businesses can sort of scale up and succeed no matter what they do and who they are? And I guess from your experience, why do some work better than others? So obviously you've got the legal practice And, you know, other aspects of your business you've built on. But is it vastly different doing that to say an online jewellery business or selling some products perhaps rather than services? It is. And I think, you know, you've really got to know your numbers, whether it's any business. And some business, if the demand is not there or you're not getting out to potential clients, then it's going to be really difficult to scale it. And you also need to know what it costs you to run it versus what you get in. E-commerce is very possible to scale, particularly with drop shipping, but that can have its own difficulties. So it's just really knowing your numbers and being a really savvy business person. Yes, you can get lots of great information doing some of these online courses that teach you to scale or or make online courses or memberships or online stores, but then you've actually got to apply that knowledge and you've got to apply it in a way that is successful. And maybe that's where the rubber doesn't hit the road for some businesses. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think it is. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of the message, oh, make seven figures, hustle. But I think at the bottom of it you've sort of got to step back first and say well why do you want to scale what do you want your life to look like and what does scaling look like is it an online course is it online membership is it a digital product is it an e-commerce store you you know you've got to sort of work out what it is and why you're doing it I think that's the first Thing. And I guess for some people it'll be money, right? Like it's money and freedom, sure. I suppose, that that brings. 
It is, it is. And I think that's the big lure of attraction and work-life flexibility because a lot of these businesses you can, I wouldn't say set your own hours, but you are your own boss, which is which is really helpful to a lot of people and especially, you know, in times like this where if you can't go into work or you can work from home, it's actually a really good business model to have. Absolutely. So what are some of those mistakes, the common mistakes that you see the online business people you've worked with or you've observed making when they try to scale online and how can we all get a bit better at this so we don't fall into those traps? So I think, and we were just talking about purpose, I think knowing your why is a, is a good tip and then having a plan and testing it out as a minimum viable product first is really important. So knowing that, you know, instead of spending a year building an online course, trying to sell it before you build it is really important. Seeing if there's a market out there. So you'd need to test your ideal client and ask them, are people actually interested in buying this? Because there's no point manufacturing a thousand sausage dog jumpers and they don't sell. I love that example. Yeah. I wasn't really expecting that. That's very random. <laughs> and you may have seen a business that specializes just in that. And that's a real life example. Yeah, that that's right. It is. And I mean, I have a sausage dog. I'd probably buy one, but there's, you know, you you probably couldn't scale a business like that. So you really need to think about well, how much money do I want to make? How many would I need to sell of whatever I'm selling, whether it's a membership or an online course? What does that customer journey look like? Can I test it? Do I have a test market to see if it's going to work? And how are you then going to build it? So what platforms can you automate some of it? How many people are you going to need to do it? And are your your foundations right and that's things like accounting advice and legal terms and conditions or advice yeah to make sure that if the proverbial hits the fan that you're covered absolutely before it gets to that point I imagine it's better exactly and I often talk I'll I'll sort of have two types of clients I have the, the really cautious clients who come to me before they start and we do their terms And then, you know, I'll often then see them when they need the next thing. But then I have the other type who something's happened. They've been riding by the seat of their pants for a couple of years and then they need the terms. So it's it's interesting to to watch that. Definitely. Absolutely. Look, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I do like to get our experts to think a little bit about what's next because some of the things you've covered might be quite familiar to people listening today who've tuned in to hear about online business scaling. Where is the future? What's next or what are you seeing as a bit of a trend trajectory or even just some tools and things which you think are going to become indispensable to make this work in the future? I'm seeing a lot of online memberships. I've actually just finished reading The Automatic Customer by John Warrillow where he talks about nine specific types of memberships. And I can sort of I can see that in a lot of my clients. And that's I suppose the holy grail of an online product, a monthly recurring income. Because if you want to sell your business, then that makes it far more valuable 
So I think the membership model will creep up. But having said that, I don't know if it's right for every industry. So it'll be people seeing where they fit within that. I also think we'll see a lot more online product subscription. So if you think about the toilet paper crisis of 2020 and now 2020. Oh, one day we're going to look back at that and go, remember that time that people were like fighting each other for toilet paper? Yeah, all that. Funnily enough, that there's, there's a couple of companies, so who gives a crap and flushed eco who have grown hugely during this time with subscription toilet paper. And, and I who would have thought that's a thing, right? Because most people don't think about it until yeah. they need it. And we had friends on the Central Coast who, who already subscribed and they were handing out roles to friends and family. Early adopters. <laughs> but that's the thing. No one would have thought, oh, that's a great idea. But no. it turns out it, it it is. And I think a lot of things are a, a great idea. I think we will go online with offices and retail a lot more and people are just now they've got no choice in various parts of Australia for the moment but they probably will you know find things they like doing online and stick with that. Mm, Absolutely habit forming really isn't it too Mm. once you sort of have adopted that way of you know set and forget perhaps your toilet roll subscriptions or becoming a member of groups you might not then go traditional networking or other things that you might have done in the past because you know it's all online now so yeah I can see that being very viable for people. It is and then you realize you know if you're not doing all these networking events each month how much time you have in your life it's sort of like when people stop commuting, they realise they have all this extra time. So I think when you try something out of necessity and it's actually good, then you'll stick with it. Been helping over the last year or so, I've been helping people like yoga teachers or dance teachers set up online programs and things like that. So it's been really interesting to watch that change. Absolutely, yes. I think we've all we've all had to learn to do things we didn't think we'd be doing 18 months ago, that's for sure. So a bit of a change of tack. Who would be your sort of top one and two mentors, not just in business, but in life? And why have they made such an impact on you? I really like Brene Brown's sort of straight talking way of things. I think I think she's really admirable. And just just that whole, you know, just letting it all hang out about authenticity. And for me, with a business that's online, marketing online, it's been a really good way to sort of have a a middle-aged woman like myself, putting it out there and putting it out there honestly. I think we do see a lot of highlight reels online. And yes, we don't all post about our bad days, but it's refreshing to to see honest people and I think that's what she brings to the arena. So a favourite book, song or film and why? And I'm always very interested to see what people say because people often surprise me. I really like Muriel's Wedding. I actually grew up right near the town that uh, Pauper Spit is based on. So for me... I don't know why I'm laughing. As soon as you says Pauper Spit, I couldn't stop help but laugh. I know. And a lot of, uh, I don't know, you sort of see yourself a bit in Muriel and and actually a lot of the people in there, you know, I could have gone to high school with some of her sort of 
nasty friends like Chook and Tanya and yeah so that that for me was was quite good that sort of getting that confidence and learning who she was I think that's definitely stuck with me as my favorite film excellent final takeaway message for anyone trying to navigate the politics of scaling an online business First of all, look at whether it's growth you want or whether you do want to scale. And if you want to scale, look at a really achievable way to do it. And I think for goodness sake, test it first before you spend a lot of time or money with something that doesn't work. Just get out there, see if there's a need for it, build something. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it should be tested before you then refine it and scale. Great. Well, that's an awesome bevy of ideas for us to to marinate on. But I, I have really appreciated your time, Emma, and I'm sure there's lots of people that will reach out to you after this podcast. And if you do want to connect with Emma, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.